Buckle up, it's time for That's How I Roll with Jeremiah Isley, a podcast about the games we play and the lives we live. That's How I Roll is presented by Theology of Games. Visit theologyofgames.com for the latest in tabletop gaming, news, reviews, and interviews. And now, here's Jeremiah. Hey everyone, welcome back to That's How I Roll. I'm Jeremiah Isley, and of course... I'm your host today. We've got a special episode for you today. Not much going on in the terms of our regular segments, but I had a chance to get on the line with John D. Clare. Now, you may know this name if you have played any kind of card crafting game in the last few years. John is the designer of Mystic Veil. Many of our readers said that this was the game of the year in 2016. I think I know it topped our readers poll list that we put together that year. He also designed Custom Heroes, which was my number three game of the year last year. And he is the designer of Downfall, which was wildly popular on Kickstarter just a few months ago for Tasty Menstrual Games. And of course, he's the designer of the upcoming Edge of Darkness from AEG. We had a great conversation, a good time talking with John, and we are going to roll that interview. Let's do it right now. Well, everybody, riding shotgun with me today here on That's How I Roll is John D. Clare, game designer of a few games you might have heard of, Mystic Veil and the upcoming Edge of Darkness. Also uh, designed Custom Heroes, which, by the way, that was my number three game of the year last year. So really enjoyed that one. And uh, so, hey, thanks for thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We're going to get to Edge of Darkness, but which... All of the folks here at Theology of Games, we're, we're all very excited about this. Um, but in the meantime, I, before we get there, I just wanted to talk about game design in general and how you sort of started game design as as a thing. You know, like someday you had to wake up and go, I'm going to make a game. How did that start for you? So I have no idea when it started because I was a small child. Um, uh, ever since I could remember, I was drawing mazes, and um, I had, uh, I think, some little video game when I was like seven inspired me, but I didn't actually have a computer. I was at a friend's house, so I went home and started making my own board game instead. Um, that game, was, it was so bad, I don't think it ever even got played. I just made it. Um, I made a little game called Monster Cards when I was nine. That was that was the be- That was the first good game I or first not awful game I designed. <laughs> the <laughs> the um the, the sort of key inflection point was when I graduated college. When I decided, you know, I was still I still had game ideas. I was still doing it sort of as a hobby on the side, just for fun. Um, and it was then I decided, you know what, I'm going to try to make. I'm going to try to get a game published, or multiple games published, so I'm going to try to design some with that intention. Um, and then I started doing a lot more research, I got much more involved in the board game community in Los Angeles. Um, I became a much more serious hobby gamer then, and um, was designing games and playing games a lot. Cool. And uh, what was your first published game then? Is that My first published game was not Mystic Veil, it's just the first one that anybody's heard about. Right, right. Um, my, my my first published game was actually a little game I sold in 2012 and came out in 2013 called Rumble Pie, which is like a Twitch fast hands um, 
card game that was mostly designed for uh, children and families, um, though uh, adults who don't mind um, extremely fast gameplay and uh, somewhat chaotic gameplay um, can can still enjoy. <laughs> cool. Obviously, there's there's kind of a, a theme mechanically with some of your your more recent games. <laughs> You know, Mystic Veil, Custom Heroes, and now Edge of Darkness have this card crafting thing happening. Where, what inspired you to, to I mean, really, you've created a new mechanic in, in gaming with this card crafting. Where did that come from? So that was uh, one of the rare instances where I set out to try to think of a new decent idea, mm. uh, like a new innovation, and, uh, and then I actually thought of one. Um, uh, I was literally... Uh, intentionally brainstorming over uh, components in games and could they be used in different ways like dice, the game box um, cards and then eventually I landed on card sleeves and uh, it occurred to me I'd never seen a game before that used card sleeves as a necessary component so you know the next step was well what would you know what what might a game look like if it was like that and um, went from there. The uh, the idea of using transparent cards in addition to card sleeves wasn't actually until a little ways into that process. The first prototype I made was just card sleeves and card stock cards, but um, the card sleeves had a uh, an, an important aspect in the game. Um, and then shortly into that process, I, I it occurred to me that you could put multiple things into a single card sleeve, which, you know, if those cards were transparent and overlaid on top of each other, then all of a sudden... I was like, oh, that's that's cool. That's where the cool idea is. Mind blown at that point, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's actually, it's interesting that you brought that up because my next question was kind of about like prototyping it. You know, in my opinion, this is a really cool revolutionary mechanic. It's something, the closest thing I can think of is like the, the game Gloom where you had sort of a tableau and you could lay cards over them, but it wasn't, a card that was usable at that time because if you picked them up they'd, they'd all scatter everywhere and everything it, it seems to me we haven't seen an explosion of card crafting games like you know when Dominion came out deck builders went wild and things like this tend to set trends but I mean is it do you think it's because of the prototyping process how hard is that process for you to prototype a card that's see-through and and has to have multiple layers on top of it. Yeah, so I think there's definitely um, a barrier, to, somewhat of a barrier to entry. Um, I mean, Dominion came out and people were like, "Whoa, this is good," and it was right, you know. Right. And and everybody was, "Well, what if there was fighting, or what if there was this?" And it's very easy to just then go make some cardstock cards and cut them out, right, and try it. Um, there's a bit more of a barrier entry to, with card crafting um, if you want to use card crafting as I did in Mystic Veil with transparent cards, right? Um, I think there's actually some ways to do it that don't involve transparent cards. Um, mm. But uh, if you want to do it that way, uh, you have to figure out how to do it, which was a process for me. Um, uh, and the, the, the end result was with Edge of Darkness was probably the most time-consuming, bothersome uh, prototype I ever had to make. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a matter of getting transparent plastic, cutting it into card shapes, printing on label paper, sticking it onto the plastic cards. The cards were double-sided, 
in Edge of Darkness, so then I, I really had to print two times as many stickers and stick and then stick them on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a much more burdensome prototype to make anything with card crafting than a uh, than a regular card game. Sure. So you've you've tipped your hand a bit with Edge of Darkness. Let's go ahead and jump into that. These cards are double sided. So are are all the cards transparent now? There's no cardboard cards at all. Yeah, they're um, we're we're on the fence about whether we're going to make the player reference cards card stock or print them on oh, something okay. else. But <laughs> but other than that, the entire <laughs> game is plastic cards. So even the cards that start in the sleeve uh, are transparent. So that the top third, if you've played Mystic Veil, it uses a similar third. Break one third, one third, one third breakdown right. of the mm-hmm. card. Um, so the top third is what all the cards start with, um, and that's a double sided. The, the front side, which is the city side, which is the side that players get to use and interact with, and then the back side, which is the threat side, um, and cards will get pulled out of the deck and end up in the in the threat tower, which is another whole thing to talk about. Um, but the back side of the cards is the bad guy. So every time you add a new effect to the card, you make you make the front side that you're actually using and activating more powerful. You also make the back side of the card more dangerous. So that's that was, I think, the thing that really intrigued myself and and the rest of the Theology of Games crew. We were like, wait a minute. So the stronger it gets, the stronger it also gets for the the not good things that happen. Uh, can you talk us just, I guess, give us the the flyby of Edge of Darkness and how it plays? I've got I, I got a chance to peruse the rulebook as it stands now, which is I know incomplete. Uh, but you mentioned you know there's the threat tower, there's player boards in this one. Uh, how does how does it all kind of piece together? And it it I, I'm correct. It's set in the world of of Mystic Vale. Is that that's correct? Correct. It's set in an entire different part of that world. Okay. Um, but there's but there's some like the the evil in in Mystic Vale, which um, you don't really confront, but you're sort of cleaning up its mess. Mm-hmm. Um, that evil has moved on, and it's now taking on the humans, and that's a much more involved battle against that that same evil in that part of the world. Um, so the 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 quick one sentence like elevator pitches. Uh, Edge of Darkness is a card crafting, worker placement, game of economics, trade, politics, and war, um, uh, confronting an ever-growing darkness, right? Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in the game. So um, the theme is we're each guild masters of a city that sits upon the Forsaken Realm. Um, uh, we are It's a powerful trade, economic city. Um, uh, but it is beset by this growing evil from um, this abandoned land that has fallen into darkness. Um, we're not at war with them, but uh, it's it's infiltrating our politics. It's corrupting our, our people and, and um, crime is on the rise, right? And as the guilds, we're, we're supposed to be the people defending the city. Um, but we're really all out for ourselves. The players aren't necessarily the good guys. They decide whether they're good or not, depending on how much they care about defending the city. Oh, cool. um, really, we're all out for ourselves. Uh, we want to be the most powerful guild, which sometimes means you you do a good job of defending the city, and then you get a lot of uh, reputation, which is essentially victory points for defending the city. Or you say, you know what, I'm just going to get a lot of money um, and just be so wealthy I can just buy, I can just buy victory points, right? Mm. Um uh, there's other, and then there's other ways, right? Also, um, 
the there's there's sort of five things I, I I like to point to that are unique going on in the game. There's a there's a shared deck building that I, I kind of call it. Everyone okay. plays from the same central deck, so we all draw cards from and discard to one deck. But a bunch of the cards in that deck are neutral. A good chunk of the cards are owned by specific players, so I could draw a card that you own into my hand. I could use the card, but I have to pay you to use it. And then there's a mechanic in the game that, that allows you to actually gain control of neutral cards in the deck. So you can actually increase the number of cards or the percent of cards in that deck that you own, mm. um, which is a key a key way to get more power and make people pay you more and stuff. Um, the cards are double-sided, which we touched on. The front side, whenever you upgrade a card, you're, you're making the good side better and the bad side more dangerous. Um, so, the, so there's a natural scaling. There's no, there's no like special rules about scaling. The game just naturally scales. The bad guys scale with the good guys. Hmm. Um, uh, there's no, none of the advancements in the game actually are. All the advancements in the game are free, in the sense that every turn you just pick one and you get it. Um, you get one advancement per turn for free. Um, there's no cost. Uh, so all the cards of the game are. It's all opportunity cost. You chose that one instead of that one. Um, and they're balanced. Some effects are, are in fact, have a more powerful effect than others, but they're balanced using a worker placement mechanic so that a powerful effect requires a heavier use of workers than a less powerful effect. So a very basic effect might say, gain some money and don't, that's it. You don't, you don't use any workers, you just get some money. Mm. Um, and a more powerful effect might say, you have to place workers here. And once there's enough workers here, then you get to use this effect and you have to, you have to use up your workers or you have to place a worker and nothing happens and then the next time you use the effect you can return the worker and get a benefit so it takes two uses to get the benefit um, and then there's the cube tower so the cube tower is uh, I can't go into too much but the cube tower drives the way the threats attack so you every turn people are dropping cubes into this tower which tumble down uh, and all fall out into three separate zones and eventually one of the zones has a certain capacity certain reaches a certain threshold of cubes in it which then triggers an attack associated with that zone to attack and the cubes are either black or they're cubes of everyone's color and whichever color has the plurality in that zone that's the player that gets attacked so people can see what cubes are starting to build up in different zones and they can sort of attempt to plan for okay that one looks like it might attack me maybe i should go kill it before it attacks or i should get some defense or right now none of the threats are coming after me so i can work on my economy a little bit and not worry about it but you don't know exactly when or who it's going to attack you can sort of you have a you have a you have information with which to guess but you're not you're not working on perfect information and then finally the big the big thing is um, the setup in edge of darkness is modular so uh, each game, you're going to use 10 location, board, and an advancement combination. So each, each module essentially has a location board where workers go and a set of advancements that go with it. Um, and every game you use 10 of those modules. Um, but the base game with no stretch goals, no expansions or anything is going to have like 21 of those. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And then, and then if we hit stretch goals, um, we could that, that'll push up higher, right? Depending on how well we do, and I've got a bunch designed um, that'll be extra, extra additions if we can if the Kickstarter does well enough. So that creates a lot of um, replayability, right? I mean, even even one setup. So the recommended base setup, like for your first game, use these ten advancements. That setup alone can be played like six times, and you can use a different strategy every time, right? Sure. Um, yeah. There's 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 different paths to victory in every single possible combination of setups. 
Um, depending on what's out there, there might be one path that's stronger, right? But you've never seen this setup before, so it's up to the players to sort of identify it when they see a new setup. And then there's recommended setups in the game that are uh, designed to be more balanced with, with um, multiple legitimate strong you know paths to victory mm -hmm. that you can play. So any given setup is a game that you can play multiple times. Wow. So those are those are my that's the that's a lot. Uh, but that's, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, that's the longer quick yeah, summary. <laughs> that's, that's great though. That really uh, fleshes out and gives you know myself and the listeners an idea of how the game plays. I, uh, I've I've been excited about this one for a while. As soon as we got the first press release, we kind of went nuts over here, and uh, it it sounds I'm I'm even more excited now, uh, having heard that from you. What gave you the idea for this? Did you just want to create something more in the space of Mystic Veil, or was it just the idea of pushing the mechanic of card crafting and adding to it? Uh, how did you? Yeah. What What inspired this one? Good question. Um, I actually, so I actually made this one first. Oh, um, okay. Yep. Uh, when I when I came up with the idea of card crafting, um, I went through a number of prototypes and iterated, and I eventually actually landed on of darkness um i really thought the idea of the double-sided cards was cool i love the idea of the shared deck that everyone's drawing from discarding to and i um and i want it i want it more than just the card crafting to be unique in the game um so i really tried to make even the way the cards play to be unique yeah. um, not just the fact that you're card crafting them and uh so i actually designed this one first and only later then i said okay that game has a ton of unique um, stuff going on. It's a it's a heavier game, um, and AEG even said, you know, it'd be really cool if we could also come out with like a gateway, little yeah. um, less going on version. And I said, sure. okay, let me, you know, I've got some ideas. Let's see what I can do. I went back to the design table. Um, I was inspired by um, Design Town, which is a little micro deck builder that's really clever that uses the same sort of blackjack or a similar. Blackjack hand draw mechanic is Mystic sure. Veil. Press your luck kind of uh, thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and then I came out with Mystic Veil, which which has card crafting, which is really unique. Um, the hand draw, which um, which I was inspired by Design Town, but I think they're the only two games I've seen that use it. So for a lot of people, it was new. Um, I, I certainly can't claim credit for coming out with that one though. Um, but then the rest of the game feels fairly familiar, right? Um, and it's there's not there's not as much um, uh, rules and other stuff going on. Wow, cool. Um, so, last question: <laughs> With you, so, so there's this shared deck thing going on in Edge of Darkness, and the cards are double-sided. How do you keep it? Is there just a little bit of knowledge there with the top card on the deck because it's something's going to be seen, right? Or is there a way that they're distributed the so top, people don't yeah, see? Yeah. Good question. So the top, um, the top six cards of the deck are revealed. Okay. Um, and, and when you draw your hand of cards, you don't just draw randomly. You actually draft from those top six cards. Gotcha. Okay. So you have some control over what you end up with in your hand. Um, and uh, and yeah, you, you, you see the top six cards because, you know, if they were just stacked, you'd, you'd end up seeing them anyway. Cool. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so this hits Kickstarter on February 20th. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. So folks can be looking for that from Alderac Entertainment Group. John D. Clare here on That's How I Roll. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you, man. Well, there it is, my interview with John D. Clare, designer of Edge of Darkness. 
Again, you can check that out on Kickstarter starting February 20th of 2018. I want to thank John for being on the show today. Really appreciate the time he spent. We also did a little mini interview over on Anchor FM. If you are quick enough, you can go check that out at Board Games FM on the Anchor app. And that's all I've got for today. So thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to weigh in on last week's Game Night Cage Fight, Sonar versus Captain Sonar. And don't forget to write in and let me know your favorite driving games for that road trip that the family and I are taking just in a couple weeks here. So with that, I'm going to sign off. I'm going to say thanks again to John D. Claire for coming on the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing the show, rating and subscribing and reviewing and all those fun things that you can do wherever you are listening to the show is much appreciated. As always, I'm Jeremiah Isley, and that's how I roll. Thanks for rolling with us today. That's How I Roll is produced by Jeremiah Isley and brought to you by Theology of Games. If you liked what you heard today, take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in, and drive safe.